Welcome to Spark, a health and wellness podcast where we teach high achieving superwomen how to put their health and happiness back on the top of the to-do list. I'm Angela Wagner, a yoga studio owner, life and wellness coach, and mama of two. With me today is a very special friend, Shelly Lother, and we're going to talk to you about how you can follow a spiritual path without getting dogmatic. So let me tell you a little bit about my friend, Shelly. She's the founder of Dancing Dog Yoga and a lead trainer for the Dancing Dogs Yoga School. She's a self-proclaimed possibility junkie, and she's an OG certified Baptiste yoga teacher, dog lover, and activist. She discovered yoga healing from a traumatic injury. Once she was told that she would never run again and would probably walk with a limp, yoga was the key piece in a long road to healing. Shelly now walks, runs, jumps, and even climbs mountains thanks to never giving up and to the practice of yoga. She opened the first Dancing Dogs Yoga Studio in 2010 in South Carolina, and the brand has spread to three states and several cities. The DDY impact has been felt worldwide. Shelly has taught yoga across the U.S. and in Lebanon, Kenya, Tanzania, Mexico, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic. Welcome, friend. Hi, Angela. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. I'm so excited that you're here because you are going to bring to us a very different kind of topic that we've talked about, and it kind of dives a little bit into some of the stuff we do in our teacher trainings, and so I think it's going to be really interesting for our listeners to hear. Great. I'm excited to talk about it. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about the story, your yoga story, as we say, (laughs) and how you got involved with your in all that. No, absolutely. How I found yoga. The interesting thing, and this surprises people, is that the first time I went to yoga, I absolutely hated it. So there's hope for everyone out there who says, I'm not a yogi. I went to a class in London with a friend and literally afterwards turned to him like, why did you do this to me? Like, let's go to the pub and have a drink because that was terrible. (laughs) And it was not like something that, that I took to immediately. But after I was injured and I had an injury where I broke my leg in 17 places, just kind of that's shocking to the body to be sure. And after that injury, I had a really long road to recovery. Like the break was so bad that they couldn't even put a cast on me. I was in like, I couldn't move like all of these different things. And, and so I experienced all the things, right? Muscle atrophy, like just a lot of different obstacles to overcome with the injury. And I, I found myself one morning in a yoga class and it was more of a stretching class than the kind of yoga that you and I teach today. But it was something that immediately afterwards I felt miraculously better. And so I kept going. And after several weeks, I felt ridiculously better. And after a couple of months, I was on a treadmill and then I went for a run and all the things that the the doctor said I couldn't do, I did. And I credit yoga with that recovery uh, completely in a very mild, like restorative, gentle form of yoga that got me that far. And so I, I decided to dive into it, you know, full throttle. I went to a yoga teacher training and after that teacher training, I wanted more. And, and then I eventually found my way into to Baptiste, which is how you and I met each other in that, the Baptiste yoga world. And that was when I brought all of the pieces together, empowerment, the possibility, the physicalness, like all of it, it came together in a big way that became like, this is my path. That's oh, sort of how it. I got here. <laughs> so when did you start? Because my first, well, my first boot camp was 03. And then I think I did a training with him, like at Yoga Journal, I think in 2002. So when did you? Uh, you know, my Baptiste journey itself didn't start until later. So I, I actually went through a whole 
series of styles of yoga before I found my way to him. I, oh I did, I I did Sara, I did Ashtanga. I think that's normal. Yeah. I think my first Baptiste program, I did 07. Okay. So that's probably what I'm trying yeah. to figure out when we met and like where we met, but who knows? There's so many to, re- I, I can't remember all of the I know all you the it all starts to blend together where we think we've known each other forever. That's how it feels. <laughs> I know. Well, when you go through such a profound experience, it's like you become just instant really close, connected friends. It's a pretty neat experience. Okay. So we just saw each other a lot. Was it this year? I guess. I don't know. This, I think earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, but he was a few was, months ago. A few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Atlanta for a doTERRA leadership conference. So that was really neat. And I got to see your new space. You just opened up a new space in Atlanta. Are you loving it? Oh, it's great. It's great. We're in a really high traffic location on the Beltline and we're, um, you know, we've been, we've opened since April. So we probably saw each other sometime around then it's been going really, really well. We're, we're having a great time and just started our teacher training a couple of weeks ago and things are bustling. Oh, I love it. So if you guys are in Atlanta, you have to come see her. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, so I love this whole conversation around spirituality because it's such a load. It can be such like that word is so loaded, right? People are like, is yoga religion, spiritual? I don't know. I don't know if I like that. I mean, I, I early, early back in the day when I opened, opened the studio, I had a couple students leave because they, they thought if everyone in the room wasn't practicing the same religion as them, they couldn't be there. They couldn't be practicing yoga. So I've sort of, I mean, I'm sure you have too, like just heard and seen a lot of it. And we're not going to necessarily just talk about yoga, but just this whole idea of the spiritual path. So tell me a little bit about your journey in that space. Yeah, it's great. I'll start at the beginning. I grew up Catholic. So there's one thing. And you me know, you, um, you introduced me, you introduced me to something non-dogmatic. That's not Catholicism. Catholicism is definitely dog- dogmatic. And I also want to say there's nothing necessarily wrong with dogma. Like there's a place for it. Right. And it's been a really interesting journey. So yoga was definitely the first step on my spiritual path. You know, it's something that I think, I think of this quote, and I don't know who said it, but I think it might be Thich Nhat Hanh or it might be the Dalai Lama. So it's one of those, don't correct me if I'm wrong, somebody send me a message on Instagram and tell me who it was. But there's a quote that says, don't study Buddhism to become a Buddhist, study Buddhism to become a better whatever you are. And this idea that each tradition, no matter what tradition we come from, has something to offer us to make us a better whatever we are. And what I'm going to throw out there is that the work that I've been doing that we'll probably talk a lot about today is that you don't even have to define what you are. Every time you say, I'm Catholic, I'm Buddhist, I'm this, I'm that, you put yourself into a box that limits what you are. Like it's a construct. It's something that we create to I think we did it at first to understand each other so that we could see people who were like us and understand more about each other, but it also can be very limiting. And the work that I've done, like Baptiste Yoga sent me to a path where I went looking for more. You know, the the work that we do in Baptiste and Angela, you're very familiar with this. What we do in teacher training is that we start looking for our authentic selves. And I went looking for the, the source of those teachings. So I found myself studying the Vedic teachings from India. And I found myself studying the Toltec teachings, which is like the four agreements and the voice of knowledge and and some books that a lot of yoga teachers use in their training. And Mm -hmm. through all of this, through all of this discovery, what I'm finding is that all of us, every being, every being on this planet is searching for something greater than ourselves. And that the less we label it and the more we like sense 
into it. The more we follow our heart, right, and treat people the way that we want to be treated, the closer we get to God. And I'm going to say that really loaded word. And then I'm going to say, God is get your own definition, get your own, like whatever it is. So whoever you are listening to this right now, whatever, whatever religion or background you come from, this can apply to you. It's not against, it's get you closer to whatever that being is that you believe in. Yeah. And I'll say, I mean, even if you are agnostic or atheist, this work is still really powerful. And I know a lot of people don't think that's true, but I've, it, this work is, it, it goes across all beliefs. It really does. Yeah. And if you're atheist or agnostic, this can be science, source, whatever. Like it doesn't have to be, it could be physics. It can be anything, right? Like there's, there's some greater thing at work than each one of us. We have to acknowledge that whether that's a big bang or Jesus or Buddha or whatever, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's we're, we're all connected to each other and to something else that we can't define with our, you know, our, our language is limited. Yeah, so I think that's something sure. that always remember. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, every year in teacher training there, you know, I always do a survey and I always think like, cause we do this exercise that you refer to and it's, we call it the lie and we can talk a little bit more about what that is, but it's so intense and deep and all these different things. And I always think like, should we repeat this? Maybe next year we won't do it. Cause I always look at like, what, what should we take out? What should we add in I'm changing things all the time? And every single year, at least one person, but usually more will comment on the feedback form that that was the most profound thing ever. And then I'm sure you Mm -hmm. get this too, like a year later and two years later, I get emails and texts from students that are like, like this exercise will work on you forever. I mean, it's really profound. Mm -hmm. Tell them a little bit about what it is because that specific exercise, correct me if I'm wrong, is what you're saying got you to then look at where did that come from? Is that right? That's exactly, that's exactly it. So the idea of the lie is this idea that we have been domesticated, each and every one of us, by our parents, by our teachers, by our society. And that sounds like some people may have an even a reaction to that. Like, I have not been domesticated, but you have. And it's okay. And if you have kids, you have to domesticate them. Because if you don't domesticate them, they will run out in the street in front of cars and die, right? Like, it's, you have to teach your children to live in the world that we live in. And that is domestication. It starts with when we're born, you're given a name right away. You're, you're given an identity. You don't choose it. You're, you're given it. You're told that you're Catholic or Baptist or Buddhist. You're sort of told all of these things about yourself and you start to believe them. And some of these are good things. They're not bad. They're not wrong. But then this other thing starts to happen. And it's as our parents teach us rules and how to live, you're told if you do this, you're a good girl. If you do this, you're a bad girl. And so what happens when you're doing it? What happens when you don't clean your room? Are you a bad girl? So you you start to develop this. This is the voice inside of your head, right? The voice of knowledge. And as you start to listen to the voice, you start to make things good and bad, not just about your surroundings or um, situations. But the way our brains work, we start to do it to ourselves. I'm good. I'm bad. I'm good enough. I'm not good enough. All of those things. And if you're wondering right now, what voice in my head, that one, the one that asks that question, right? The, your thoughts, the way that we think. And so this, this lie, this, this construct starts to happen where we start to believe in the lies about ourselves, the, like the cosmic joke, the thing that isn't true. And that starts to become the voice that subconsciously runs our decisions and our thoughts about ourselves. 
And so the work we do in teacher training is identifying it, like understanding that it's not ever going to go away, but that when we can recognize that that's the voice talking and not our true authentic selves, that at that point we can start to pause and make different decisions. And this is the basis of the Toltec work. You know, we're talking about the work from Don Miguel Ruiz, right? Four Agreements, Voice of Knowledge. And I'll tell you, Angela, interestingly enough, this is the same idea that's taught in the Vedic teachings, like deep in the Vedic teachings from India, the, the things that predate like the Bhagavad Gita, this language is still there. Like they call it, con- not they don't call it construct, that's the English translation, but they call it construct versus what the Toltecs call domestication, the lie. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> a lot, I know. <laughs> so if someone isn't, maybe they're not into yoga or, or they're into yoga, but they don't, you know, they're not doing teacher training. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be work that's just for yogis, I guess is really what I'm getting at because it's so powerful. So tell me as a professional working woman who does it all, right? Because you certainly fit that bill, how this can fit into your life or someone else's life, regardless of whether or not they practice yoga. Oh, no, absolutely. And it really is a lot of emotional work. I think the reason it works so well with yoga is because when we physically get into our bodies, like when we, when we get out of our heads for a minute and physically get into our bodies, it opens us up to hearing other ideas that maybe would feel too esoteric or too philosophical otherwise. But that's not true for everyone by any stretch. So I have been doing a lot of work with my new teacher. Her name is Heather Ashamara. And she's written a series of books. The first one is Warrior Goddess Training. That's the, the thing. If you don't do anything else today, go order it on Amazon. Warrior Goddess Training is about exactly what we're talking about. But it's actually like written in a way that it's like eight practical tips to uncover your authentic self, right? Rather than like try to figure it out by yourself. But it, it's work that, that I've been doing a lot with women outside of the yoga room. And, and I say women, I mean, obviously this work is for men too. As a woman who believes in empowering other women, it's where I've been concentrating my efforts. Really, this is for anyone. And this work is really about uncovering the things that, like uncovering these, these ways that we talk to ourselves. You know, Angela, like I think most people listening have probably seen that old Dove commercial where women write down like all of the things that they don't like about themselves. You know, I'm yes. ugly, I'm fat, my skin is this. And then they have to read it to the person across the table like they're talking to them. And like how emotional that was for them. Like, I don't want to talk to somebody else like that. And it's like, well, well, wait a damn minute. You won't talk to somebody else like that, but you'll talk to yourself like that, right? Like that's, that's sort of the basis of all this work. And it doesn't have to be just the, like the, the physical, what we would call like the surface. It can be the, the deeper things that we believe about ourselves. Those are the, even the more important ones. You know, the, the I'm fat is, is something that we've, you know, as women, we've done to ourselves trying to fit a certain societal mold. But it also goes a lot deeper than that. It goes into like not being worthy and not being loved and not being good enough and the ways that we talk to ourselves, I think everyone on this planet could use a course in how to change that discussion. You know, the more we did that, the easier it would be to live in this world and improve it. The Vedas say that you change yourself to change the world. And Gandhi, be the change that you want to see in the world, that we have to start with us. And it has like a ripple effect, right? Yeah. And, you know, we talk so much on this podcast and in, in a lot of my coaching programs about stress and the causes of it and taking care of ourselves and the health. And it's like, you can have all the 
the obvious pieces, right? Like you can sleep well and eat well and exercise and, you know, check all those boxes and still be really unhealthy if mentally you're, you're having these conversations in your head. I mean, your stress levels are going to be through the roof because you can't have that, that true health and wellness and that joy daily if you have these running tapes that are beating you up. Right. So it's like, it's like we always talk about yoga as this mindfulness training. And it's one of the things I love specifically about Baptiste and, and other styles as well. But it's certainly something we focus on a lot is just working through a lot of the stuff and not having music and not having mirrors and like all these distractions that take us out of actually listening to what is really going on in there, you know? A hundred percent. It's powerful work. And I, I found that over the last, I don't know, five years, it's gotten worse where people's self-talk is even more negative. The stress levels are even higher. The distraction is out of control because of just the way that the way we operate in life with technology, I think has completely shifted a lot of this as well. Have you seen that? I I absolutely have. It's really interesting. So um, one of the things we haven't caught up about, and this is sort of new, is um, I just came back from a meditation training with Deepak Chopra. And, oh, how was that? Um, He's so cool. It was fascinating. And I've actually signed up. I just jumped, I just jumped into a, a year-long program with him. I'm doing his Ayurvedic teacher certification. So I haven't started yet. Maybe have me back on the podcast in a year and I will blow your mind with all the Ayurveda I learned. But one of the things that Deepak was talking about was the yogic practice of pratyahara, right? Sense withdrawal and how it is the, the least taught of the eight limbs of yoga and that right now in the world, it is the most important, right? Because exactly what you just mentioned, all of the information that's flying at us 24 seven. I mean, we are so connected, which is amazing, right? Like that, that I can still stay connected to students that I've had across the world. Like I can keep up with them on a daily basis if I, if I want to. And that's an amazing thing. That's a great thing, technology. Technology has given us you know, surgical robots that can identify cells that need to come out of your body without long recoveries. That's amazing. It's given us all kinds of things, ways to study the brain, ways to study the heart, ways to heal each other. But it's also really destructive if we don't use the tools properly, if we don't check in to ourselves and to the inside. And, you know, yoga is such an important part of that. And so is meditation. And so is diet. And so is listening to how we talk to ourselves. I mean, all of that, you know, you teach this, I'm sure, in, in your teacher training. It's, it's svadhyaya, it's self-study. It's like being willing to look at like how you're being, not, not who you're being. I don't want to make that, that mistake. You know, it's never who you are. It's like how you are. Like if you're pissed off and somebody cuts you off and you react to it, that's not who you are. That's how you are in that moment. And it's allowed, by the way. Yogis and spiritual people are allowed to get angry. We're allowed to get frustrated. We're allowed to be mad. We're allowed to say something nasty to somebody. We're allowed to do all that shit. (laughs) You are allowed to do that. You don't have to be perfect. But it's about catching yourself and, and coming back to your authentic self as quickly as possible versus somebody pulling out in front of you and the rest of your week being bad you know? And it's really easy to do that. We're living in a world that almost encourages that. Oh yeah. It's just so crazy. And I I know I sound like a dinosaur when I say this, but it's like when I opened the studio, the the smartphones weren't even, it wasn't even in existence yet. And so it's like to see now, and then there's people that literally get angry. You know, they come in, they're new to our studio. We're like, sorry, we don't allow cell phones at the studio. And some people look at us like, I just took away their 
their newborn baby. <laughs> and I'm yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and I'm like, it's like, an this hour. Is, it's only an hour. It's I'm an done. hour. <laughs> But it just shows, and I mean, no judgment on them. I mean, I caught myself going to the bathroom the other day at a restaurant, and I'm bringing my cell phone in there. I'm like, Angela, can't you pee without checking your freaking text? Like, this is out of control. Yeah. You know, I and it. so I get it. I, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm a yogi, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> yeah. But it's just such a great thing to look at. It, and I think that's why it becomes even more important for us to do this deeper work because we have, we're not just sitting in lost in thought or daydreaming anymore. We don't ever do it because we never allow for that time, like in general, right? Like a, a pretty gross generalization, but I would say 99% of the people I know that's true, right? Because we're either in front of a screen in some capacity or we're doing work or we're with, you know what I mean? But like very rarely are we just in our heads or in our thoughts and breathing and experiencing life and figuring out what's going on. So if we don't commit to kind of looking into it, it just keeps getting layered and layered and layered with more stress and more distractions, right? A hundred percent. It makes me think of that. I know you've heard this because the most common thing I hear when I work with people and suggest yoga or meditation, you know, as part of their lifestyle is I hear I don't have time. Yeah. And it makes me think of that. If you don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes, meditate for an hour. <laughs> But it's also funny, like, and I'm not, and if you're listening right now and you're like, no way, don't worry, I'm not telling you to go sit down and meditate for an hour. But what I'm saying is that somehow that when you make time for these practices, you get time. It's like when you make time, whether it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour to, to meditate, to sit still, to walk on the beach, to go to a yoga class, it's like suddenly you find the time for everything else. But when you don't make time for yourself, you will never have time for all of the things that you want to do. Isn't that so true? I know people don't mm -hmm. believe us when we say that, but it, it because you, you get clarity on what you want and how mm -hmm. you're spending your time. Hey guys, Angela here. I have a really exciting announcement to share with you. My 200 hour online yoga teacher training is starting January of 2020. Now I know what you might be thinking. How could I possibly learn how to teach yoga online? I thought the same thing initially, but I've been training teachers for over 15 years in my Dallas yoga studio. And what I've noticed over the past few years is that everyone has become chronically busy to the point of where they can't make the schedule that we create for the in-person training. I couldn't even make it as a mom getting down to my studio seven weekends in a row and every Tuesday night. And there's so many yogis that have this desire to either just deepen their practice, the understanding of the flow, do personal development, get more confidence, or of course, wanting to teach the practice and they just couldn't do it. So what makes this program so great is the obvious part is that there's a 24 seven accessibility to the material and the content. But then we also do weekly live calls because I find that to be incredibly important to your success. We'll go over the exercises together. We'll journal together. We'll meditate together. We'll practice teach together. We'll do all of the things that we do in trainings together. And you'll meet people from all over the world, which is very cool. You can do it from anywhere. So if you travel, if you're on vacation, if you get relocated, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your training and your ability to get your certificate. Everything we do is recorded, including the live calls. 
So it's really a win-win for everyone. So I invite you, if you're just curious, go to my website, AngelaWagner.com, click on yoga. I just rebuilt the page with tons of information, testimonials, frequently asked questions, pricings, the $400 discount that you'll get if you sign up before the 15th of December. And if you're still not quite sure and you want to chat with me personally, we can set up a 20-minute clarity call. That's also on the website. You can book it straight there, get on my calendar, and we can just chat together and see if it would be a fit for you. So I hope you'll join us. So I just started this program called Superwomen, the mini series last night, and it's geared towards, you know, high achieving professional women who are just really busy. And it was really hard to get people to commit to it because <laughs> everyone was like, but I'm too busy. I have too much stuff on my plate to add something else. And my line was like, you will never get out of that cycle unless you make the time to figure out how to get out of that cycle. And that's exactly why that's we it. do so much mindfulness, right? It's like, it, it, you're just going to keep perpetuating the cycle. It was really great to see the women that signed up that's, that got it. And they were like, I mean, I even had one woman who had said, no, I'm too overwhelmed, too much going on. And then she showed up at the very last second. And she was like, I figured I just like had to get it. I, the only way I could hit the reset button was to do something different, you know? Yep. Yep. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's so true. And it seems like that that's counterintuitive, right? But yet it's exactly what we need. And it's that, that's how life is a lot of times. The thing that you think is like the opposite of what you need is exactly the thing that you need, right? The thing that you're resisting the most is exactly the medicine that you need. <laughs> always. Always. Uh -huh. always. So we've talked a little bit. Um, well, you mentioned the four agreements and that I, we did two podcasts on that last season. So I'll link to those in the show notes and I'll link to the book. I feel like everyone in the world needs to have that on their bedside table. And I tell everyone in all my trainings, I'm like, buy this one, have the hard copy because you will just keep going back to it. Don't you think? I agree. I agree. In fact, I've had the the luck. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we want to call it. The divine grace of working with Don Miguel personally, which has been a really amazing thing. And I actually have the four agreements on a bracelet and on a pendant. And I, I almost always have one of them on. It's like oh, a, cool. sometimes I just have to sit down and look at it. You know, like don't make assumptions. Like you know, don't make assumptions. <laughs> don't take it personally. All of it, a hundred percent. I feel like it's the it's it's kind of the handbook for life, and everyone should read it. <laughs> and it's so it's so simple, and it's so short, right? Like I love that about it. It doesn't complicate things. Uh -huh. You can read it. And, I mean, it's it's great. So where is he based out of? Where did you study with him? Um, Don Miguel is based in San Diego. He's aging. He's turning a lot of his work over to his sons who are um, amazing, amazing teachers and shamanic practitioners. Their names are um, Don Miguel Jr. and Don Jose Ruiz. But I worked with him in, um, in several places. I've been with him in Sedona, in Joshua Tree. I went to a workshop. I don't know a training. I don't know what you would really call it. An experience with him in mm -hmm. Teotihuacan, Mexico at the pyramids, which was amazing. Um, very spiritual and heart opening over New Year's Eve last year. That was one of the best decisions I could have made. So I've, I've had the opportunity to work with him a lot. And, and, and working with Don Miguel is actually how I found my teacher, Heather Ashamara. She's one of his original apprentices. So I, I found my way to her as a, as a teacher, not just an author, not just a book that I like, but actually as a, I, I was looking for a spiritual teacher, you know, someone I could sit down and ask questions to. Yeah. yeah. That's, I love that you've gone into this side of the work, you know, because I don't hear a lot, as much from the yogis about this, right? Like it's a lot of physical asana and stuff. So I think it's awesome that you're sharing this. So tell yeah, me it's, more it's, about it's, where you're going for me. 
Yeah. Well, well, the Warrior Goddess training program is, it comes out of, I don't know what this was like, Ash's fifth or sixth book, something like that. But the Warrior Goddess books are, are geared towards practices to help women break out of the rut, so to speak, right? To take out all of the things that we identify with and instead discover our true nature. She's dedicated to empowering women, which is something that I think this world needs a lot more of. So I, I mentioned being an apprentice of hers, and, and that's, that's what I am today. So that means I am studying with her like a three-year program where I spend about a week in Santa Fe every quarter, basically, sometimes a little sooner. And we do a lot of self-inquiry, self-study, the Svadhyaya part of yoga, and start to like pull off all of the layers that don't belong to us. You know, so this is meditation, it's journaling, it's inquiry, it's discovery, it's there's not so much yoga as you would think of it as on the mat, but it's all of the other limbs of yoga for sure. I've been doing a lot of work with her and it sounds like this will sound a little like intellectualized because it's hard to put it into to words. It's an experiential practice to be sure. It's not something that's, that's easy to talk about. It's more something to be experienced, but really it's about getting down to the heart of who we are. The workshops with her, and, and I do lead warrior goddess workshops, so I'm a, a certified warrior goddess facilitator. And like the workshops that I'll do are, you know, sometimes like four or five hours on a Saturday, and and women come in having no idea what to expect, and I think they walk out having big breakthroughs, which is pretty cool. We do a lot of exercises, a lot of sharing, a lot of understanding that really at the end of the day, we're a lot more alike than we are different. Like our, our differences are are usually in, you know, life experience. Obviously, that can be vastly different. Our differences can be in appearance or whether you're black or white or, you know, young or old, in any of these things. Like, there's a lot of differences that walk in the room. What I find is that at the end of the day, the feelings, the emotions, the way that we speak to ourselves are just so similar. You know, and it starts at every level in our society. From advertising, advertising's a big one, like learning to not listen to advertising or to listen to advertising from a sense of, hey, you, you're not good enough. You need to buy this. If you buy this shampoo, it'll change your life, right? (laughs) And starting to listen more from, like, I already have everything I need. Yes. I love that you'd mentioned that about the advertisements because I've noticed I've cut that out a lot, even when I was going through like a uh, simplifying kind of more, no, I I don't want to say minimalism, but like I was very actively trying to pull out excess in my life. And so I stopped getting magazines and I stopped watching commercials and like all those things. Cause a lot of the conversations around that was like, you can't be inundated with that kind of those kinds of messages if you're trying to simplify your life. And I was so, Mm -hmm. it was so profound. And then over the last year, as I've gotten a little bit away from that whole practice and I've let some of this seep back in all of a sudden I'm like, gosh, I have awful wrinkles. And I'm like, and so I go back and I'm looking at pictures of me three years ago. I had the same wrinkles on my forehead, you know? I just didn't notice mm-hmm. them because I wasn't paying attention to it. And I'm mm-hmm. listening to people saying that they got Botox or they got this chemical peel or they got this. And I mean, no judgment on that, but that, that to me has never been like a focus. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, it's happening. I see it, you know? And so it's such a great thing to notice, like what are we consuming? And then how is that affecting? Because then all of a sudden I started feeling awful about myself. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like such a difference, isn't it? Like how we approach things. So like, like what you said, it's like, if you want Botox, go get Botox. If you want a wrinkle cream, because it makes you, you know, feel a little bit better to put the wrinkle cream on. It's not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely fine. Right. 
if you're thinking that the wrinkle cream is going to make you happy, that's the problem, right? It's no matter what it is. So you can say, when I lose 10 pounds, I'll be happy. When I get this job, I'll be happy. When I meet this man or have this relationship or drive this car or live in this neighborhood, I'll be happy. The problem is, unless you're happy before you do all of that, none of that shit will make you happy. It's like you have to be happy and things will will show up in your life, like the universe aligns and things work out. They, they really kind of do. But if you're not unhappy, you're attracting more of that. And if you're looking for something outside of yourself to make you happy, you're always going to be chasing happiness. It just is the way that it is. As humans, somehow we flipped that. I think back when you look again, go back to the Vedas, we think old India or the Yoga Sutras, right? Go way back. People used to know that happiness attracted happiness. And somewhere along the line, we got corrupted where we think that the thing outside of ourselves makes us happy. And it's, so it's about changing that belief system. I think Warrior Goddess, Toltec work does a lot of that. Looking for the spark inside of you is what makes you happy. Like having gratitude, noticing the joy in the things that you see all around you, like seeing the magic that's all around you versus waiting on one thing to come in and fix it all. Well, yeah. And I think what's really perpetuated that is social media and just how much we're in this comparison game and we're seeing everyone's highlight reel. So it's like, I realized when I was working on a work thing, someone had sent me a photo and I always have been like, gosh, again, I was in this weird state of like, gosh, I I look kind of old and wrinkly or whatever. And this person sent me this photo and it it had saved as Facetune. And I'm like, what's Facetune? I'm, again, I don't focus on this stuff. So I look it up and I realize like, oh my gosh, like within one swipe, you were able to take all your wrinkles out. So, well, no wonder I feel like crap about myself. <laughs> I wasn't doing that to my photos. You know what I mean? And so it, it was just like, a, it was a great realization for me. Like, you know, I know things are filtered and whatever, but I think I wasn't in that same space. So I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Here I am. I'm caught in comparison mode. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, the truth is it's always been that way, right? Like, I, I mean, Cosmopolitan, even Yoga Journal has always been airbrushed. You know, the oh, magazines, sure. the things that you guys delivered, they were never quite real. It's just that now everyone has editing tools. <laughs> well, yeah, and like everyone true. and their mother, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, it, and it isn't true and it isn't a version of reality. And it's also like, girl, if you want to take your wrinkles out of your photo, go for it, right? No judgment. And like, it isn't going to make you happy. It's a funny thing. It's a really slippery slope. You know, I, I think that's, you know, when you look at advertising, it has become a very psychological game. And it's not advertising's fault, right? I want to say that. So if anybody's listening to this and you're in advertising, you're not to blame for this. This is society. Society creates that. And the Toltec, Heather Ashamara, Don Miguel Ruiz, what they would say is that the dream of the planet, like the collective consciousness, Deepak would agree with this, the collective consciousness controls like how we behave as a society. So in other words, if all of us tomorrow decided that we were not going to listen to advertising, that we all loved ourselves unconditionally, and that we didn't need any of this BS they were trying to sell us, everything would change. Yeah, it's true. Like almost immediately. So it's like, we're, we're part of it. You know, the, you've heard the saying that when a butterfly flaps its wings, there's a tsunami across the globe, right? Somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like this idea that everything is tied together. And there's some physics involved with that that I don't quite understand. But this idea that everything really is connected. And so in some ways, we're responsible 
for everything that we experience. And please don't jump into like, I'm saying that someone's responsible for being assaulted or anything like that. That's not what I mean, but I mean, collectively, collectively as a planet, I think you've heard Baron say this before, Angela, like that if you're at war with one person on the planet, there's war on the planet. Mm, like this, mm-hmm. this idea that, that if as a society we're in, in a space of not loving ourselves so that we're going to be looking for love outside of ourselves, that most of us are going to experience that because we're going to learn it. We're going to learn it from our teachers, our parents, our friends, our society around us. So how, how we change that is we work on ourselves. We work yeah. on ourselves first and then, then it gets a little bit better in our immediate family and our immediate circle of friends. And then that ripples out into our larger community. It ripples out into our city. It ripples out into our state, our country, our world, like one person at a time. Like that's the, that's so the change starts true. with you idea. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And so when people say, when you think you don't have time for personal development, it's not really just about you. And I think that's so key because we're always trying to do for others, but it's like, we got to figure our own stuff out, you know? <laughs> and it's not selfish. I mean, you just said that, but what you didn't say like directly is taking time for yourself is not selfish. It's oh, important. No it's actually selfless, right? It makes you a better fill in the blank. Mother, yep. sister, daughter, husband, friends, whatever. It does. It makes you better. Oh, for sure. Period. I mean, one of my <laughs> clients had just said like she had been taking care of everyone all year and then she went to the doctor and it was like warning signs, right, for her health. And she was like, if I don't start focusing on myself, I'm going to be the one they're taking care of in a year. And I'm like, mm-hmm. exactly. Like we cannot do all the things and take care of all the people if we're putting ourselves last. It's just... It's a uh, preach girl, preach. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not possible. We have to take care of ourselves. And that's, and that's not just the food you put in, although that's part of it, right? It's all of it. It's the messages that you put in. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, like, that's where it starts. You, know, you, you said it earlier, you can eat well, you can do all of the things. But if you're, if you're listening to toxic messages, there's going to be toxicity in your, in your being, period. Yeah, for sure. And I think what I keep coming to in this conversation is that we have choice. And sometimes it doesn't feel like we have choice, like things are happening to us, or we can live in victim mode, or we don't have time, or our boss makes us do this thing, or our kids are driving us crazy, which is, you know, I live in that one all the time. But we still have a lot of things that we actually can choose. And so, you know, I think looking at that versus perpetuating that conversation in our head that's like, I'm a victim, I don't have time, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, you know what I'm saying, is like the Mm -hmm. first step in just knowing like, okay, I actually do have a say here. Yeah. And I think that one of the things, like if I could give an actionable tool to everyone listening is that every time you say to yourself, like, why is this happening to me? You know, I'm guilty of that. I don't know about you. But instead of why is this happening, right? But instead of why is this happening to me, can you shift the question to what can I learn from this? Yeah. You know, it it doesn't mean it's your fault. Like, like take that out because that can be the next question. Oh, it's my fault. No, it's why is this happening to me though is is victim or or martyr mode, you know? And and when you think about one of the things that I've been studying a lot through Heather Ash, through Don Miguel, through the work that I've already started reading for Chopra Center is this idea of, of the archetypes that we have in society. You know, victim and martyr are, are two pretty big negative ones, right? 
but there's like a light and a shadow side to everything, you know? So for every victim, there's, there's like mother side for every martyr, there's like the empress or the, the warrior side. And, and so there's both of those things are inside of all of us. So every time you find yourself falling into the victimhood or the martyrhood, like you have the ability to shift it, to look at it from the, the other perspective. So to go back to Baptist yoga, to shift your vision, right? Yeah. To, to shift it and think and listen, like you're not going to, if you're just starting this practice, you're going to suck at it for a while. It's going to, you're going to be much more comfortable with why is this happening to me? But it really, why is it happening to me will keep you there as a victim versus trying to shift it and say like, what can I get from this? What can I learn? What is the universe trying to show me, right? Instead of why am I having to deal with this again? It's like, all right, what lesson haven't I learned yet? Like there's something there. There's something there that your behavior can shift so that something different can happen. You know, and sometimes look, if you've got a crazy mother-in-law, like let's talk real, right? If you've got a crazy mother-in-law, you deciding that you're going to shift your behavior with her may not and probably will not change her behavior, right? <laughs> let's, be, right. let's be honest. Right. However, you get to choose how you react to it and how it affects you. You get to choose whether or not you take it personally, whether or not you even respond to it. You know, or whether you just let her just do her thing and, and not let it affect your day. Just thinking like another one that's helpful for me in that conversation is not letting it make it mean something it's, it may or may not mean, right? Because we're in our own perception. We a lot of times will make like an action or something someone says mean something bigger than it yes. really even needs to it's be. Not about, you know? It's not about you. It's never about you. If someone does something, says something nasty to you, it's not about you. It's about them. Mm-hmm. It's never about you, right? Like that's the, the whole premise of don't take it personally. I, I think too, you know, a really good modern day, like without getting too deep into like our parents or you know, any of that, like deep psychological work that, by the way, this isn't therapy. You might still need a therapist. It's okay. <laughs> but something really, right, it's true. true. Something really simple it's is true. like, if someone cuts you off in traffic, so you're in Dallas, I'm in Atlanta, we have traffic. Yep. If someone cuts you off in traffic, right, you can be pissed off at them all day. But the reality is, they're not affected by you being pissed off at all. They have moved on. That They cut you off and got where they were going and they're having a grand time. You are walking around angry all day. Like, does that help? Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of the easiest places to start shifting your vision and like letting it just go. I have a tool for it too. Do you want to hear it? I'd love to. Make up a reason and even say it out loud if you have to about why that person did whatever the thing Mm. is that bothers you. So whatever your pet peeve is, somebody cutting you off in traffic, somebody not picking up dog poop, you know, whatever it is, make up a reason why they did it that you would be okay with and make it ridiculous, right? So for example, someone cut you off in traffic, like, his wife's in the back seat and she's about to pop out a baby. Like he has got to get to the hospital. Would I be yeah. okay with somebody cutting me off? hundred percent, right? Yeah. Like it could be totally, totally ridiculous. Someone doesn't pick up dog poop, right? It could be like, well, you know, he didn't have any arms and the leash was around his neck. He couldn't pick it up. There were no hands to pick it up with. No problem, right? I forgive him for not picking up the dog poop. Like ridiculous. I mean, anything. It could be unicorns and aliens and anything that you want, but... Like, let it just not bother you. Like, it doesn't have to affect your day. (laughs) Sometimes it is actually a real thing. I remember reading this article pretty recently about this woman who had somebody, neighbors write notes and put them on her door because she had let her lawn and everything just go to shit. And she had had like this, I forgot the story, but it was something horrific where like her baby was dying and it was like the worst thing ever, right? And so she posted on Facebook what had been happening and the note. And then everyone, of course, next thing you know, she's got a GoFundMe page and people are bringing 
medicine and diapers and all the things because all of a sudden everyone felt like a jerk. You know, it's like this woman yeah. is like in sur- literal survival mode and you're worried about her grass. But again, yeah. like we have no idea what's going on with other people. So it's good perspective for sure. And wouldn't we love some grace? Because hello, how many times we've all cut someone off, not paying attention or not even knowing we did it. Like we all need grace. We're not perfect, you know? No, exactly. So exactly. Anyway. We're definitely not. We're definitely not. Oh, well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. So where can listeners find you? Listeners can find me on the big World Wide web, right? At uh, dancingdogsyoga.com and also at thisbadasslife.com. And I am trying to, I shouldn't say trying, trying is lying, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm going to start posting a lot more blog posts on there. It's on my to-do list. It just hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And also the same, same on um, Instagram and, and Facebook. This Badass Life is my handle. Um, that's where they can find me personally. And from there, they can find all of my studios and retreat pages. They're all listed in my bio. Okay, great. Well, we will definitely post all that in the show notes so they can visit you. Well, thank you, Shelly, so much for being here. And thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Spark. If you have a few extra minutes, please stop what you're doing and leave us a five-star raving review on iTunes. (laughs) It really does help. And I know everyone asks for reviews, but it will take you two minutes and it means a ton. And if you would like to find what we, all the resources, the books that Shelly mentioned, her locations, all that stuff is in the show notes at AngelaWagner.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Angela Wagner. Remember this week to take the time to give thanks, raise a glass and discover what it is that sparks you. 